It is Friday, November 4th. I'm Scott Seidenberg. And I'm A.J. Hoffman. The Astros take a three games to two lead in the World Series. And the Eagles remain unbeaten. Here comes the Vegas truth. This is Straight out of Vegas. We are straight out of Vegas AM, your daily destination for sports conversation with a Vegas lean. Here's what you need to know to start your day. Houston Astros take control of the World Series 3-2 winners in Game 5. The Philadelphia Eagles remain undefeated, uh, getting a little bit of uh, citywide revenge by beating the Houston Texans 29-17. And Kyrie Irving suspended by the Brooklyn Nets. What is the Vegas lead? It's going to be the World Series, AJ. Uh, The Astros take a three games to two lead with the series shifting back to Houston for Game 6 on Saturday. Justin Verlander finally gets a World Series win. Uh, performed much better last night than his historical numbers in the World Series. You know what? Oddly enough, it, it wasn't he wasn't great. He wasn't sharp. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't look like, you know, JV. Uh, a lot of walks. You know, he was getting touched. Just got out runs. of jams. Got out of jams. Ends up with only one earned run. That's all you, ask, you can ask for. So... He he didn't make it sweat free, mm-hmm. but it was clearly way better than game one where he, he sold the bag, as my kid would say. The Astros <laughs> jumped out to an early lead after Jose Altuve uh, triples off the wall off of Noah Syndergaard to lead off the game. Jeremy Pena then hits a single scoring Altuve. It's one nothing Houston going into the bottom of the first inning and leading off the bottom of the first for Philadelphia is Kyle Schwarber two nights ago. When Kyle Schwarber was asked about the Phillies being no hit, he said, I don't give a bleep. <laughs> said, just got to move on to tomorrow. It's good, good philosophy. And what did he do? He had a solo home run, the first Phillies at bat after being no hit. That's a statement right there. 1-1 game until the fourth when Jeremy Pena hits a solo home run. 2-1, that was it. Astros never looked back. They added an insurance run in the eighth. Phillies got one back in the eighth. But in the ninth inning, incredible defensive play by uh, Chase McCormick. And Ryan Presley gets out of a jam. And the Astros take a three games to two lead. So now we look at the Astros going into game six. From Valdez, Zach Wheeler. Astros are minus 140. Total of seven. I got to think the Astros close it out in, in, in game six. Well, that was your original prediction. Uh, and that seems, you know, listen, the momentum thing, we talked about it after the no-hitter, momentum. and Oh, Astros' first five hit, by the way. Yeah. Yes, and the, the Astros obviously took a little bit of momentum. The Phillies fought back early on. They, they, they didn't go scoreless in the first couple innings, which is what we were maybe thinking. But it does feel like with home field shifting, the momentum is just so far in the Astros' favor right now. It's hard to picture them losing two games in a row the way that they've been playing. I would agree with that. Uh, They have, you know, this is going to be a tough pitching matchup here, but the way that Wheeler looked and the concern with the dip in velocity, you got to give Houston an edge here with Framber on the hill and also the bullpen. This is what has been so impressive about this postseason run for the Houston Astros. It's the way that the bullpen has pitched. Coming into this game, the Houston Astros bullpen had a .76 ERA. Unbelievable. Think about that. Yeah. .76. Six in the playoffs. In the playoffs, yeah. The and we're talking like 44, 45 innings. It's, I mean, it's been an unbelievable run for this Houston bullpen. That's why I give them the edge. And man, it was it, it was something special to see last night. And just watching them throughout this series, great defensive play by Trey Mancini, who was playing the field for the first time since October fifth. Great play by McCormick with the diving against the wall. And let me just say something about that catch. 
everyone's talking about what a game-saving catch. You know, maybe uh, Real Muto gets a, a triple on that play or whatever. If you watch that highlight over again, Kyle Tucker, who's playing right field, did something incredible that, honestly, if I was a baseball coach, I'd show this to my team. He positioned himself. Everyone's looking at the McCormick catch. I was looking at where Tucker positioned himself because Tucker positioned himself where if McCormick missed the ball and it went off of the wall, and I didn't mean to rhyme there. I, I mean it. I swear. I did I did that intentionally yeah. rhyming there. But not, you know, this, it's it, ironic. Yeah, the first time I did it not intentionally. The second time I did it intentionally. Okay. Anywho. What are you going to do? <laughs> I knew you were. I was, I was pausing to see what you were going to say. Um, Kyle Tucker put himself in position that if, if, if the ball caroms, he is there to feel it. And at the very worst, keep Real Muto to a double. But yeah. maybe he gets the ball in quick enough that Real Muto has to retreat back to first. It was a textbook positioning job done by Kyle Tucker in right field. Everyone's celebrating the catch. I'm sitting here going, man, that right fielder put himself in great position. <laughs> it was good. Uh, I, I think that, that you know that, that play is going to get all the love. I think the Mancini play was bigger because if that ball gets past him, it goes to the corner and it scores one. It ties the game at least, if not gives the Phillies the lead. Because mm-hmm. uh, that was when Presley had come into the fr- really the first time any Astros bullpen had been in a bad spot, but Presley came in in a bad spot and that play bailed him out because yeah. if that ball gets by Mancini, who again, not a good defender and really not even a, not even a defender who gets used, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's a disaster for the Astros uh, that. And then, you know, you, you called this at the beginning of the series, your pick for, for MVP of the series was Jeremy Pena. I think he's certainly, it, there's only a few guys left in the discussion. Yeah. He's certainly one of them. And Noah Syndergaard served him up a big, fat, hanging curveball that he just crushed. And, you know, that that is, in my opinion, keeping him at the top of that MVP list. Altuve, another good night. But that that's the Astros that are really hitting in this series. Altuve, Pena, and Gurriel. And Gurriel left with an injury, thus Mancini being in. And really, other than that, you're looking at pitchers. And Fromber has a chance tomorrow night to, if he with another good game from him mm-hmm. after his game two, I think he's in the discussion. I think Ryan Presley can be in the discussion. But other than that, it's it's Altuve or it's uh, it's Jeremy Pena. So you may have been onto something with Jeremy Pena. I sure hope so. Seventeen to one would be a nice cash here on Jeremy Pena to win the MVP. Uh, I think. It comes down to if he has another good game in game six. Because you mentioned something on uh, yesterday's show. You said they usually vote on who performs best in the clinching game and, like, the game before the clinching game. The later you are in the series, the more your performance matters. That's exactly what it is. So uh, Pena with the three, three for four in this game last night, including the home run, one run scored, Two RBIs. I think he's batting like 380 now in the postseason. Uh, I'm just trying to do the, the 381. 381 in the postseason. Or no, in, in this World Series. Yeah. So if he has a good game six and is the reason why, he's also made a couple of nice plays defensively. I certainly think you can make make a strong case for him. I also see the strong case for Framber, though, if he has a dominant performance in game six. I think I actually think it's wide open. We can talk about the odds, but I think it's I think it's wide open. I, I think you're right, and there's a couple guys, and this has got to be a little disheartening for the Astros that Jordan Alvarez is the second, and this was the case in the last World Series as well. Jordan Alvarez has been a, a total no show. Uh, doesn't that make you? Isn't, doesn't that make you nervous? Like if you're back in the Phillies, because at any moment this guy could emerge oh, and be the player that he was all season long. I mean, Alvarez, Bregman, Tucker, four, five, six in the lineup, or yeah. three, three, four, five in the lineup, pardon me, have, have been almost no-shows this whole series. So, yeah, it, it, there is that. But also, you could say the same thing for the Phillies. Who's really hitting for the Phillies? Like, Schwarber's hitting home runs, but when he's, not, when he's not hitting home runs, he's getting out. Harper's hit 250 in this World Series, but and, and Baum has hit uh, 278. The rest of this team, Hoskins, Real Muto, 
The Hoskins and Real Muto combined 0 for 10 last night. I just got the uh, updated MVP odds. Okay. Jeremy Pena plus 110. Oh, who's the next closest? Bryce Harper plus 1,000. Oh, so if the Astros win, they're saying it's him. What's the number on Framber? Plus 1,000. That seems like good value. Like, if you can get 10 to 1 on, I mean, obviously you have. I feel like I should place that bet. I think you should place that I bet. Because I, I got 17 to 1 on Jeremy Pena right now. And Jeremy Pena is pretty much even money to win this thing. What's Ryan Presley? Ryan Presley is, and I'm looking at FanDuel right now. Ryan Presley is plus 8,500. Okay. It, I don't think they gave it to Presley. I don't think so either. Because I, I forgot he gave that he up gave a up run. a run. Yeah, it's not like he's, it's not like he's been lights What's out. What's Altuve? Altuve, 17 to 1. Those are the, if the Astros win the World Series, it's Altuve, it's Pena, is, is, or is, it's Framber. Is if the Astros don't win in game six, then Framber's out. Yes. So you're betting on Framber if the Astro, if you think the Astros win this game. Would you like the Astros in six anyway? Exactly. And, and even, and, even the, and he's a minus 140 favorite. And even if you don't, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're, you've, you've got the Vegas favorite on your side mm-hmm. that. Fromber in the game two start went six and a third innings, struck out nine, allowed one run on four hits and walked three. Pretty good line. A similar outing. I know, think it's him. He's got to get it, right? I, I just think for you with a 17 to 1 in your pocket, it only makes sense to to hedge there. Put a little bit on on Fromber. Yeah. At 10 to 1. Yep. All right. I'm going to do that. I got to make a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. We live in Vegas. Vandal's uh, not, a, you're not allowed here. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, game <laughs> six on Saturday for your viewing pleasure. Thursday night football kicked off week nine last night. And listen, they, the the Texans put up a little fight in the first half. Looked like the Texans in the second half. Eagles take care of business, but do not cover the spread. Nope. If that's what you were hoping for. And I know there's a lot of people who thought that was going to be the case. No, 29-17 winners over the Texans. And we talked yesterday with Fez about you know, play. He he was like, you know, I I missed the number. I'm not going to have any interest because he wanted that first half minus six and a half. Fez should be glad he didn't get that first half minus six and a half. Because- well, we also talked to Fez about the first quarter possibility, and this is great because what did he say on yesterday's show? He said, "I don't like the first quarter because who wins if the, toss the Texans matters. get the ball first and they march it down the field and score a touchdown, you're dead." And what happened? <laughs> Texans got the ball first. They put up, it right down the field and scored a touchdown. And this was the first time this season the Texans have scored any points <laughs> on their first drive of the game. But he was particularly uh, wise about that yesterday because the first two drives, the Texans touchdown drive and then the, the ensuing Eagles touchdown drive, Took up 13 yeah. minutes and 27 seconds of clock. Mm-hmm. Those two drives were the first quarter. Yep, like that's unbelievable. So he was. That's what he said. He's like, it's like flipping a coin mm-hmm. because really, what it comes down to is who wins the coin toss. You don't want to play the first quarter number. So at least dodge some bullets on Fez's advice yesterday. If My, I'll tell you right now, though, if Jalen Hurts doesn't fumble, the Eagles cover the first half. The Eagles cover the game. Everything changes because if he doesn't fumble. So back. You're right. He hits the, on on the first play. He hits uh, AJ Brown for the 31 yard uh, play. Right. They have the ball on the Houston 27 yard line, and then the fumble. Houston doesn't score on the ensuing possession. They wind up punting, and then the Eagles come down and score and go up 14 seven. And then they you know let the the Texans score the touchdown, and then the missed field goal didn't even matter in terms of the. It wouldn't uh, have mattered. Yeah. It, it would have mattered with the game spread. Yes. But for the first it half. didn't matter with the first half. And it was a far field goal anyway. What was it? 54. It, it, yeah, exactly. So it wasn't exactly a gimme. But I think if the Eagles, if, if Jalen Hurts doesn't fumble there, the Eagles are scoring a touchdown on that drive. And so they're up 14-7, and then everything else changes. Also, the over did hit in this game. And yes, it hit because of the two-point conversion play. Yeah. But watching this game, and McKenzie, I, I, don't, I don't know if we have those numbers right now on what we thought the expected score in the game should have been. This game should have gone over easily. 
Well, yeah, because like you said, that fumble turns it turns into no points, turns into a, a punt for the mm-hmm. Texans, and the missed field been a touchdown, goal. missed field goal. You're right. There was uh, also the the uh, well, no, I guess the interception did result in an Eagles touchdown. Um, and, yeah, I felt there, I felt this game should have been over with ease. And also the Texans, uh, uh, Davis Mills threw the interception at the end. Yeah, and they were driving into score. So I'm not saying that they score a touchdown. You know, there, there, there was there was points that should have been had. Here's what I'll say, and I lost my best bet, which was Texans under 15 and a half points. Uh, the Eagles came out not taking the Texans seriously. I agree. The with Eagles that. came out and said, "We're rolling our helmets out, nonchalant," and they let the Texans go down and score on the first drive. And I was like, "Ugh." And uh, I mean, listen, it lost by a point and a half. But, but so it's it's not like it was no shot. But once that once that happened, I felt like that's a dead bet because it, they should. There's no way a team that hasn't scored a single point on their opening drive should go down and just handle their mm-hmm. business. Go down and score a touchdown didn't make sense against one of the best defenses in the league. Yeah, Eagles. It was the first time all season they don't cover a first half. They really. It. I don't want to say a team went through the motions. I don't think the Eagles ever felt that they were going to be in danger of losing this game. They came out. They didn't respect the Texans. Texans ran it down their throat. Damian Pierce, just a, a, I mean, wow, what a game. He's the right? only good thing that you can talk about yeah. with the Texans. Yeah. <laughs> but then when it came, when it, when push came to shove. Imagine they almost Philly, gave Marlon Mack the job over him. That's pretty like, funny. <laughs> but when push came to shove, the Eagles showed up. Yeah. And that's really all that matters because now they're 8-0. They have a little extended uh, break here because they're they're not going to play again until Monday night football of next week. So they got some time off here. They were all in the locker room watching the end of the Phillies game. Uh, there's video of the Eagles' reaction to the McCormick catch as they were in the locker room watching it. And uh, now they can just rest knowing that they have the inside track here to the number one seed in the NFC because, honestly, I'm looking at their schedule. AJ, and I don't know when they lose. I don't either. I'll, I'm not betting them to go undefeated, but they will be favored in every single game the rest of the season. Maybe you want to say Christmas Eve in Dallas. Maybe they're an underdog. Maybe. Or maybe a pick. Maybe a pick. But every other game, they will be a favorite. I don't know who's beating this Eagles. Imagine going 17-0. and and then be in a six-and-a-half-point dog in the Super Bowl to the Bills. Like, <laughs> yeah. By the way, McKenzie says that our stat projections say 27-23 Philadelphia. That's an over still. Yeah, so don't feel don't feel sorry for yourself if you bet the Eagles to cover the full game spread. It was, it, it was, uh, it was a, bi- a bigger blowout than it should have been, even, based on those numbers. So, listen, credit the Texans for showing up and fighting. This yeah. is a team that... Bu- could easily roll over and die, and no one would fault them. Well, this is a team that will have a new quarterback next year. It, they have to. And I mean, he's there. I didn't understand it. I did not understand the love for Davis Mills. He had two good games last season. Mm-hmm. One of them happened to be against the Chargers, so everyone was like, "Oh, yeah, I'll play <laughs> Justin Herbert. Oh, he, he's the best of the rookie quarterbacks." Stop. Let's settle down. Like there. If you if you redrafted today, I promise you're still taking Trevor Lawrence before you take Davis Mills. Mm-hmm. People let two games like blind everything else that they saw last year. It's like we saw it. That's da- look at Davis Mills. <laughs> Davis Mills stinks. This guy is a backup quarterback in the NFL. You're right. They've got to they've got to improve at that position. Uh, Texans next at the Giants. So uh, another chance to uh, to sh- and by the way the next the Eagles play the the Commandos next mm-hmm. Texans play the Commandos the week after so Washington I'm sure was paying attention to this game as well. Big news in the NBA unfortunately wasn't really on court news. Uh, Kyrie Irving has been suspended by the Brooklyn Nets after. I guess what they're saying, failing to, uh, it feels like for failure to appropriately apologize or to say out loud yeah. that you aren't anti-Semitic. The, the quote says, 
unequivocally say he has no anti-Semitic beliefs. Even though he said, I, I, I don't have any of these views because I respect all religions and creeds. This whole thing, and we, we've talked, we haven't talked a lot, but there's, it's happened a lot on the old Straight Out of Vegas show. We talked about the cancel culture. Mm-hmm. And this feels like something, like that, that, that wording from Kyrie five years ago, it probably is good enough. Now people are like, no, we want you to say it exactly how we've got it written down that you should say it. And now we're talking about the the, the Nets saying they he's not Nets worthy. He like he doesn't yeah. he shouldn't be a part of this. Like this is this crazy. This is the statement. Quote: Such failure to disavow anti-Semitism when given a clear opportunity to do so is deeply disturbing. Is against the values of our organization and constitutes conduct detrimental to the team. Accordingly, we are of the view that he is currently unfit. To be associated with the Brooklyn and fit to be associated with his this team, is, but this is a PR. This is a, a PR move because there's so much backlash. You have people protesting at the Barclays Center. You have people sitting courtside wearing shirts. This is becoming a story that is a distraction to the team. And I talk about this all the time in sports. I talked about it with Colin Kaepernick. I talked about it with Tim Tebow. Sooner or later. You have to make the determination. Does talent outweigh distraction? When you have a team that is losing, when you have a team that has dismissed their head coach, when you have a team that is constantly in the news cycle and the talent doesn't outweigh the distraction, you got to do something about the player. But here's the situation. Unlike the Kaepernick and Tebow situation, this is an ultra-talented player. This but is one of the, tw- he's one of the 20 best players in the league. He's not playing like it, and the team is not performing like it. So and are so- we going to take a five-game sample and throw like just say, well, Kyrie, everything you've done to this point in your career, Kyrie, we, these five games outweigh it? That doesn't make Tell sense. Tell me if you – but this is a team that is two and six, that is constantly in the news – that people are looking at any reason to poke and prod at them after everything that's gone through with the off with this offseason, with everything surrounding this team. This team had a cloud hanging over it coming into this season. This is this is what's crazy to me about the Nets. And this was the case last year. No one was willing to te- to just say the Nets aren't that good. McKenzie, where were the Nets in the in the favorites list going into the playoffs, the title odds? I know they were ten to one. I believe that was like third or fourth favorite. And they were they were in the freaking play-in seventh seed. It's like why can't people see that this team is broken? But the talent said, well, if they just put it together in the playoffs, Mm -hmm. and what happens when they get to the playoffs? It's because people still washed out of the first game. It's because people still think of Kevin Durant's foot being on the line and that being the difference between that team winning the championship or not. And, And that that might be true, but it's a different team. Kyrie Irving, by the way, did now, after a statement was released earlier on Thursday, late last night, Kyrie posted to Instagram an actual apology. Here's what Kyrie said, quote, To all Jewish families and communities that are hurt and affected from my post, I am deeply sorry to have caused you pain, and I apologize. I initially reacted out of emotion to being unjustly labeled anti-Semitic, Instead of focusing on the healing process of my Jewish brothers and sisters that were hurt from the hateful remarks made in the documentary. I want to clarify any confusion on where I stand fighting anti-Semitism by apologizing for posting the documentary without context and a factual explanation outlining the specific beliefs in the documentary I agreed with and disagreed with. I had no intentions to disrespect any Jewish cultural history regarding the Holocaust or perpetuate any hate. I am learning from this unfortunate event and hope we can find understanding between us all, end quote. Here's how you avoid all of this. And Herm Edwards said it best when he spoke at the NFL Rookie Symposium about 11 years ago. I'm going to devise a phone now. I'm going to figure this thing out. Did that send button? Instead of sitting on the phone, I'm going to make a new phone. I want you all to buy it for me now. Help me out. I'm going to put, don't press in. So when you tweet all that stuff out, 
And you get ready, you look at yourself, oh, says, don't press sin. So you can think about what you're getting ready to press. Because here's the problem. When you press it, you can't take it back, man, it's out there. And if it's really good, one of those juicy ones, guess what? Da-da-da, da-da-da, we got it. Don't press send. Oh, yeah. That is the best advice you can give to any, not just a professional athlete, anybody. I agree. Don't press send. And here's why, especially during the season. Like, deactivate social media during the season. That's the best thing you can do, in my opinion. LeBron James goes zero dark 30, right? For the playoffs, yeah. For the playoffs. Yeah. Like, it, 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 it just feels like no good can come from, especially with all the drama that's already going on in Brooklyn. It feels like that's the best thing to do is just stay off social media. Well, let's talk about it from a uh, Vegas perspective here now. I'd like to go over on Kevin Durant props <laughs> because <laughs> well, but here's what we know. Mackenzie, let me know if you back this up. Uh, Kevin Durant's usage without Kyrie Irving and w- without James Harden. So without them, when it's just Kevin Durant by himself, over the last two seasons, 716 minutes, 36.8% usage rate. Whew. That's is that like unheard of in NBA terms? I'm pretty sure that would be the all-time season record of all time. Which means and 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 you to explain that for people that don't understand, he's basically touching the ball every time yeah. the Nets have the basketball and he's on the floor. So, am I wrong to think that without Kyrie Irving now, KD's just going to go off? Correction, it would be the third highest usage of all time. Russell Westbrook, of course, will oh, never shocker. be taken down <laughs> in 2016-17. That stu- that's Thunder Russell Westbrook, right? Exactly. Yeah, MVP that, Thunder Westbrook. That's, that's Russell Westbrook passing to himself. I think they're on the right rebounds. track here. I think what, Durant's going to shoot 30 times a game. They don't really – I mean, Ben Simmons, even if he's in there, he has been missed a couple games. He's going to shoot seven times a game, so it's really going to be a lot on Durant's shoulders. Okay, let's talk about McKenzie from a Vegas standpoint. What is the drop-off on the Nets without Kyrie? I make it about a two-point drop-off. Maybe it should be more considering how thin the Nets are this year. Not the same team that almost made the finals back when they lost to the Bucs. Very interesting line movement here. So most of Thursday, the line for Friday's game was Nets minus two versus Washington. Then this news comes out and it moves to pick them. So that agrees with my numbers, a two-point move. However, then they took the line down and reopened it. DraftKings did the first one I'm seeing at Nets plus three. So the way I read it is Kyrie's worth about two to three points. The market is saying there's outside distractions that's also worth about two to three points. So I think long-term is about a two to three-point drop-off, but right away, market is saying even more than that. Do you have a feel one way or another at this new number of three? I feel like Kevin Durant responds. I feel like Nets first half, Kevin Durant over would be the way I'd look at that game. Uh, the other news with the Nets is that Ime Udoka is set to replace Steve Nash as the head coach. But again, this is another guy who's a, a kind of a walking distraction right now, is he not? Like, no doubt. How do we, how do we look at the Nets going forward? What were your expectations coming into the season, and how have you adjusted season-long expectations for the Nets? So I thought they were about a top five team coming in, Adam. Five points better than an average team. I figured Simmons would be somewhat of a hardened replacement. Obviously, much worse offensively, but bring some defensive things. Hasn't been the case. I've downgraded him two and a half points already before this news. Now with another two and a half point downgrade, I think they're about an average team. When you're starting two and six in a tougher Eastern Conference and you're an average team, it might be a struggle to make the playoffs at this point. Pretty wild how how things have unfolded there. All right. Speaking of James Harden, looks like he's going to miss some serious time with an injury. Tell us about that news. Tell us how it affects the Sixers. Thankfully for the Sixers, Tyrese Maxey has looked uh, like a stud, like the second-best player on the Sixers. The two-game that Embiid missed, Tyrese Maxey was clearly the best player on the team. So I think it's less of a downgrade than it would have been probably uh, you know, at Harden's peak. So I have it about two-and-a-half points looking at their line on Friday versus the Knicks. Uh, market seems to be moving about three points from my number. So similar to Kyrie at this point in their careers. All right. Well, there you go. There's a a look around the NBA. It is a it's wild stuff off the court. Mm. The action on the court, it'll pick up in the spring. It'll pick up eventually <laughs> if we ever get past this Nets drama, which is so Mackenzie. Weird. Any uh, <laughs> any back to backs to take advantage of this weekend? Yeah. And how about this? The Suns and Blazers play back to back tonight and tomorrow night. Have you ever seen that? No, that's a new one. I've seen the immediate revenge spot. This back-to-back nights is a new one. The database will have to adjust to this uh, new scheduling spot. Knicks are at the Sixers tonight, and they are 
home to the Celtics on Saturday. The Nets play back-to-back. Nets are at the Wizards tonight, and they're at the Hornets on Saturday. And then Bucks play back-to-back. Bucks are at Minnesota tonight, and on Saturday the Bucks are home to the Thunder. That's an interesting one because the Bucks have played six straight home games, so they have their first their first road game of the season was a road game. So it's not really a road game because it's not as hard to travel the first game of the season. They get six straight games at home, then they get one road game and back to home. I feel like if they win, then they go back to home. They're going to be a little complacent versus the Thunder. I would look Thunder first half. Timberwolves, who play the Bucks tonight, will also be home against the Rockets tomorrow. Similar situation where they might they might have run out of gas in the second half of that Rockets game, especially because they wouldn't be that motivated if they if they can beat the Bucks. So whoever wins that first game, fade them in the next. Fade them. Whoever wins Friday, fade them Saturday would be be my opinion. All right, so that's the NBA. McKenzie, do you have a best bet for us here today? Yes, I'm going to go Pelicans minus one in the first quarter. Uh, that's the expected lines about four for the game. So very confident it's going to be about one and let's go Pelicans and Warriors in two different buckets here. The Pelicans have been the second best first quarter team and they have the biggest separation from their game margin and their first quarter margin. I think it's all about see this with a lot of different kinds of teams, teams that surprise you athleticism, Milwaukee, Minnesota, New Orleans. They're always excellent in the first quarter. It's been true this year. It's been true historically. And I feel like the Warriors from their side of the coin They've been so bad defensively. They just gave up 130 versus the Magic. I feel like they're not ready. They're a little shell-shocked. They're not ready for the athleticism Pelicans are going to bring right away in the game. And you got a fully rested Brandon Ingram. He's been off for three games. I expect him to make an imprint early. So Pelicans minus one in the first quarter. You're getting the Pelicans in their best quarter and the Warriors in their worst. Isolate the, the group. First quarter makes sense to me. Pelicans minus one. Dig it. All right, there you go. Best bet in the NBA. Three games in college football tonight, and let's start with ooh, a doozy, Duke at Boston College. And you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity to give my best bet for this podcast. I'm going to go Boston College plus 10. Duke, Boston College under 47 oh, points. Oh, so close. Here's the deal. There's no world, at least no world that I live in, where the Duke Blue Devils football team should be 11-point favorites on the road in a conference game. Mm -hmm. However, Jerkovic is done. He's not going to be back this week for sure. I don't know when he's coming back. He hasn't practiced. Boston College feels like a dead team. They're going to have a redshirt freshman at quarterback. They can't really run the ball. It's hard to to run on Duke to begin with. This is a two slow teams, two teams in the bottom half of the country in pace. Again, I don't want to lay a big number with Duke. I don't think I don't think Mm-mm. Duke's something to write home about. So what am I going to do? I'm just going to fade the offenses here. Under 47, Duke Boston College. That'll be my best bet for this game. Okay, I can I can get with it. Uh, I don't want. Listen. I wouldn't lay the wood with Duke. And and every time I watch Duke, I'm always surprised by how much they score. Like how did they score 45 on Miami? I, I, have I don't know. No idea. It. How did they score 35 on North Carolina? Then again, you and I score 35 on North Carolina. That's right. Uh, but I watched them struggle against Georgia Tech, and you know it's it's weird. They're so uh, they're so I don't know. It's like I don't respect Riley Leonard at all at quarterback. I mean, he's only thrown for 10 touchdowns on the season, but I guess they 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 find ways to put up points. So. Uh, there's a reason why they're 10-point favorites here against a Boston College team likely without Jakovic, as you mentioned, but I can't lay the wood here with Duke, not on the road. Uh, We're not going to spend much time talking about UMass at UConn. Why not? 15.5-point favorites for UConn, which is, I don't know when the last (laughs) time UConn football was favored by that kind of, it's unimaginable to me, but this goes to show Jim Mora, whatever you think about Jim Mora as a head coach, for the relative hire Mm -hmm. to have a guy like him at UConn, a guy who's been a head coach in the NFL multiple times, who was a head coach at UCLA, for the University of Connecticut to land a coach of that uh, resume Mm -hmm. is a huge, huge win for them. And he has improved this program in a way that I I just didn't see coming. Like, it it almost seems unfathomable that 
UConn football could be where they are right now, which is, at this point, respectable. Yeah, and look, they've done a good job of scheduling. So for those that don't know, like UConn's an independent. They don't they, they don't belong to a conference, right? Um, this year, losing big to Syracuse when Syracuse was just at the beginning of their run. They got blown out by Michigan 59-0. They got blown out at NC State. But beating Fresno State was pretty darn impressive. I don't know Jake Hayner in that game, but still, Fresno State's a respected program. Yeah. And for them to win that football game, I think, you know, showed that there's some moxie here. And then they go out and they beat Boston College. I mean, come on. That's just, wow. You beat Boston College. They've got a real chance. Let's just assume they win this game against UMass mm-hmm. as 14.5-point favorites. Liberty and at Army, their last two games of the season. The Army game is going to be the one where so they'll lose to Liberty. They'll have five wins. And I will bet on UConn at Army as an underdog to win outright, earn themselves the bowl bid as the Army Black Knights are looking ahead to the Navy game. If they were to win... Actually, no, Army does play UMass and then Navy, so no. If they were to win this game I thought I had this whole thing mapped out. UMass tonight, they would surpass their, their win total this year, which would be five at that point. Mm-hmm. That would surpass... The number of wins for that program since 2018 combined. They have had four wins since the start of the 2018 football season. They would have five if they beat UMass tonight. Don't you say we weren't going to spend a lot of time on this? Sorry. I just had to, I had to get around how mind-blowing it is. So uh, there you go. That's, the, uh, that's, that's enough UConn talk. The, the most intriguing game of the night, Oregon State, four-point dogs, number 23, Oregon State, four-point dogs at the Washington Huskies. You were a, a Husky backer yeah. early this season. What have you seen from them lately? Uh, I've seen a team that is still capable of scoring a ton of points. Um, I've seen a quarterback and an offense that is capable of having their way with a defense. What I've also seen is very poor weather yeah. for tonight in Seattle. And there are 20-mile-per-hour winds projected for this game tonight. The total has shot down in this game. So we're looking at a total right now of, what is it, 54-and-a-half, right? Yeah, split between 54 and 54-and-a-half. Okay. Um, This thing opened at 60-and-a-half? Yeah. And has gone all the way down to 54 and a half. Now, rain is not the biggest factor. I don't think offenses are bothered by rain. In fact, we've seen that before in football games. Rain is not the big deal. Wind is the big deal. And when you have a Washington team that throws the ball as much as they do, right, 379 passing yards per game, if it truly is 20-mile-per-hour winds in Seattle tonight, it's going to affect them significantly. I, I, I don't know what to make of this game, and I don't know what to play. The weather is really scaring me off of it. If I were, and I'm not going to have a play on this game, if you forced me to make a play, it'd be on Oregon State. Uh, Oregon State can run the ball. Uh, Oregon State is very good defensively. Mm-hmm. If you take away the passing offense of Washington, and if the weather even slows it down, I don't like Washington here because Washington's defense is bad. They let Arizona score on them. They let Arizona State score. They let Arizona State score enough to, to beat them. Mm-hmm. These are bad offenses that ran up points on this Washington D. Now you get a good offense in Oregon State. I, I feel like with the with the weather the way it is, this only favors the Beavers. It's the, this is the number one passing offense in college football. And if the wind doesn't allow them to pass the football, then I have major concerns. All right, let's take a look at some of the big games on Saturday. Let's start with the early, early, early morning. At least if you're on the West Coast, it's early, early morning. Air Force minus seven at Army, and we talked about this a little yesterday with Fez. Uh, I lean to Air Force here. This is a different kind of Army team, and this Army team is 
horrendous against the run. Be yeah. careful. Be careful. If you didn't hear yesterday's show, we're here to tell you be careful because the instinct, and it's my instinct too, service academies, got to be under. under. This Army team is different. They cannot stop the run, and Air Force is obviously going to run the ball, so be wary of that. Baylor, three-and-a-half-point dogs at Oklahoma, one of the more interesting matchups in the Big 12. Oklahoma, I don't really know what they are right now, but they really need to make a statement here. Yeah, you know, I, I was, this is a program that I had really high hopes for coming into the season. Brent Venables, right? He, he, he's got that defensive mentality coming over from Clemson, right? He's back at Oklahoma, makes him, you know, it was the right hire. And then they bring in Jeff Lebby to run the offense and Dylan Gabriel, who played on with, for, for Jeff Lebby at UCF. It was like the perfect recipe for success for Oklahoma. And yet the season has not gone the way that everyone thought it was going. It's funny, when we were coming into the season, one of my concerns was, Venable's defense has never had to play with tempo because Clemson was never an up-tempo offense. Mm -hmm. And I think having to adjust how you play defense based on how you play offense, it it takes some time. I I, I still think Oklahoma has all the right stuff Mm -hmm. eventually in place to be be successful. I just thought that this year would be kind of some growing pains. This is a big matchup for them, though. Tennessee – Eight-point dogs at Georgia in the matchup of the weekend. This is probably the best football game of the weekend. Sorry, there's no NFL games that jump off the board. At like, this is must-see TV. Tennessee You're not going to watch Michigan Rutgers? No, I'm not going to watch Michigan, Michigan Rutgers. What's wrong we with you? We can have pandemonium Piscataway. No, we won't. Okay. Uh, Tennessee, <laughs> eight-point dogs at the dogs. I think Tennessee's absolutely live here. Yep. Uh, I, I don't know. That, I don't think they win. I think Georgia's the more complete team. I think this is a lower-scoring game, though. This, If you're thinking this is going to be Tennessee-Alabama part two, yeah. I'm here to tell you it's not. Georgia, it grinds you. They, they want long, long drives. They want to take the air out of the ball. They do not want to get into a track meet like you saw Alabama do. I think this is a low-scoring game, and eight points in a game like that is way too many, in my opinion. Yeah, and look, uh, I gave out Tennessee on the College Wall Pod earlier this week. You can listen to that. Go to the R.J. Bell's Dream Preview podcast feed and listen to that. And this line is just moving, you know, in Tennessee's favor. More money is coming in on Tennessee. Uh, I think they're the right side of this game. I think this is a one-possession game, and Tennessee's Georgia has not faced a passing offense like what Tennessee has done. They have not faced a quarterback like Hendon Hooker. And if Tennessee was able to put up 52 points on Alabama's defense, they're certainly going to be able to put up maybe 30 on Georgia. I'm not asking them to score 52. I'm asking them to score like 28, 30. Because I I think that you're right. They probably don't win this game. But eight points is too much to give a team as good as Tennessee. I don't care who the opponent is. Alabama, 13-and-a-half-point favorites at LSU. Listen, what we've seen the last couple weeks with Jaden Daniels is impressive. Yeah. But we also saw what this Tennessee what Tennessee did to the, L- or the LSU defense. I don't know that it's any different. Alabama feels like they are angry. And, you know, Alabama has no wiggle room now. Like there's no like, oh, we can we can afford to drop one here. They dropped their one. I think Alabama comes out focused. I, t- I the early number on this was 17. I said that's crazy. My power numbers, my, my power rankings made 14, mm-hmm. uh, 13 and a half. I I like the uh, I like the tide here. It's hard to bet against LSU at Tiger Stadium at night. The game against Tennessee was an 11 a.m. local time kickoff. That's not the case this weekend against Alabama. Tomorrow's game is a primetime game under the lights in Death Valley. Uh, I just I I want to take the points with LSU. Alabama has won 10 of the last 11 games in this series, but 4 and 7 or 7 and 4 I guess uh in Alabama's favorite to the uh, against the spread mm. including last year when they were LSU was 29 and a half point dogs uh and Alabama took care of business but uh this is a, a game where 
the last couple times that LS or Alabama's played at LSU, they have covered four straight games at LSU. Hmm. So they, I guess, listen, their coach worked there for a while. Yeah. He, he's got some, uh, some insight into how things work. <laughs> the Texas Longhorns, two-and-a-half-point favorites at Kansas State. Kansas State looked pretty good with a backup quarterback last week. Texas, they're a wild card, man. Texas can look like the best team in the country one mm-hmm. day and look like a total dud. What do you think happens this week? Uh, I think there's going to be points scored. Good call. That's what I think. I like the over in this game. Uh, Clemson, three-and-a-half-point favorites at Notre Dame. This is a game we talked about on the College Football Podcast. I like Clemson here. Uh, This feels like, A, a coaching mismatch. You've got Clemson coming off a bye. These guys are prepared. They've prepared for two weeks for this game against Notre Dame. I, I don't like Drew Pine. Uh, and if you're you're not going to be able to run on Clemson, that's what they've done the last couple yeah. weeks. Notre Dame's found some success running the ball. It's not going to be easy against Clemson. So I, I like Clemson here. Although Clemson, not a team that I love getting a bunch of margin, but three and a half feels small enough. I'll swallow that. I feel like three and a half is a signal for me. You know, like we talked about before. Yeah. Three and a half. You lay take it. Take the three and a half. You lay it. Yeah. Two and a half. You take it. Three yeah. and a half. You lay it. I see this at three and a half, and I'm thinking Clemson's the right side of this game. Just outside a key number here, Florida State minus seven and a half at Miami. And this Miami season. Why is this the primetime game on ABC? I, I, listen, I think this was predetermined a while back. I think it's like, we don't want to go up against the World Series. I'll Potential say, game seven. I'm going to say this now. Although now it's game six because of the pushback. There is no team I was more wrong about this season coming into the year than Miami. I like, I thought this was a team that was going to compete for the ACC. Well, Van Dyke was a Heisman favorite. Uh, Yeah. It's like, dude, this is the best quarterback situation they've had since Ken Dorsey. They stink. Mm -hmm. That game against, and listen, they win the game against Virginia 14 to 12 in four overtimes. Their offense is dreadful. This is a total nightmare. What's going on in Miami. I like, I, I don't, I've got no faith in them right now. And Florida State, better than I thought they were going to be. I, I, th- I thought that Florida State, even, you know, at the beginning of the season, we didn't really know what LSU or Florida State was. I think for both teams, like, that win for Florida State has aged well. Yeah. And that loss for LSU has aged well. Florida State has a three-game losing streak or had a three-game losing streak, but it was against Wake Forest, NC State, Clemson, the three best teams in the ACC. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say like well they stink because really they were competitive in all of those games at Miami who feels like the wheels have fallen off boy it's hard for me to find any reason to back the Kings. All right, let's go over to the NFL. We'll run through the the schedule. A couple key games though: the Rams three point dogs at Tampa. This is an interesting game to me, and there there's a lot of sharps who really like the Bucks here. And getting three, like now that it's on three instead of two and a half, I'm going to go ahead and heavy lean to the Rams here. I think something that's not being talked about, and again, all of this depends on if Cooper Cup plays. If Cooper Cup is ruled out, yeah. I want nothing to do with the Rams. But the Bucks losing Shaq Barrett is big mm. because he's the only guy who can create pressure. The only way now for the Bucks to generate pressure is by blitzing and all Matt Stafford's entire career. Like the one thing he's good at. That's a good point. I beat the blitz. Mm-hmm. You blitz me, I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna carve you up. So now either the Bucs have to make a choice. We're either not gonna create pressure on Matt Stafford or we're gonna blitz him and he's a known blitz killer. Uh McVeigh says Cooper Cup, he thinks he can play. But McVeigh's also a known liar about injuries. <laughs> he also said Todd Gurley was going to be good to go for the Super Bowl. Sean McVeigh's a liar. I don't trust him. I lean to the Rams, though. I, I probably I like the Rams if we find out Cooper Cup's a go. Tom Brady on extended rest with the Tampa Bay Bucks is nine and two straight up, eight and three against the spread. Extended rest meaning eight or more days. Uh, but there's something about Sean McVeigh and the Rams playing on the Eastern. Time on the Eastern Seaboard, East East Time Zone, McVeigh's teams when they travel from Pacific Time to Eastern Time, 
10 and 1 straight up. Wow. 9 and 2 ATS. Overall, 13 and 3 straight up, 11 and 5 ATS coaching in the Eastern time zone. That's pretty wild. Those are those yeah. that's a big number. It's a noticeable number. Something you should definitely pay attention to. As RJ would say, it's not something that's going to make me bet the Rams, but it might talk you off of the. Might bucks. talk me off the Bucks. Uh, let's t- let's talk about Sunday Night Football real quick. The Titans and the Chiefs, 12, 12 and a half points, depending on your book. I, I think this line has the Andy Reid after the bye week built into it. Yeah, because it's become such a big narrative over the past several years that I think everyone's aware of it and everyone talks about it. And 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 I'll give you the numbers, Andy Reid. Uh, 27 and six straight up with 13 days or more of rest at home after a bye. Andy Reid is 17 and two straight up. Yeah. So everyone, I, and I feel good like, eight, 12 and seven ATS. Yeah, yeah. So so good numbers are, as people well. People are talking about this, and I think it's baked into the line because I really feel like this should be more like Chiefs minus 10. 12 and a half just feels like it's it's that whole narrative being built in. Here's my issue looking at this as far as the Titans go. If Tannehill's not, and I don't know the status of Tannehill, nobody knows the status of Tannehill yet, but you can't feel great about them without him in the game against the Chiefs where you know you're going to need points. Travis Henry had his best day of the season, and they scored 17 points last week against the Texans. Derrick Henry, you mean? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, Derrick Henry. Travis uh, Henry was the didn't he wasn't he running back for the Bills? Former Bills running yeah. back. That's that's my bad. Uh, but the the Chiefs are well rested. The Titans just set a new season high for Derrick Henry rush attempts for the fourth week in a row. They're wow. putting more and more workload onto this dude. This is the crazy thing to me. The, the Chiefs twelve and a half point favorites over a team that has won and covered. Five straight games. Mm. How often do you see a team on a 5-0 and straight up and ATS run as 12-and-a-half-point dogs? I don't think you've ever seen it. Here's why it's happening, though, besides the Tannehill news. The last game that they played that they didn't win or cover was a blowout, a bludgeoning against Buffalo. And you could absolutely see this. In the, listen, their wins were Vegas, Indy twice, mm. Washington, and Houston. Now you see them matched up against another elite team. You could see them absolutely get, just getting laughed off the field again like they did in Buffalo. I would tend to agree with that. You can't win a game against the Chiefs 21-17. No. You can't win a 17-10 game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, McKenzie, you say this this has happened once in the history of the NFL, huh? Yes, and I think it's pretty telling when it happened. So win five straight, cover five straight, 12 or greater point dog. Has it ever happened? Yes, it happened in the playoffs. The L.A. Chargers, then the San Diego Chargers versus the undefeated Patriots, arguably the greatest NFL team of all time. Ah, well, that makes, makes some sense. sense. That does make some sense. Uh, Tannehill did not practice on Thursday, spent a lot of time on the stationary bike, I don't know what that says. Um, I, I don't think he plays. I wouldn't feel good if I were saying, if I felt like if I was counting on Tannehill to play, I wouldn't be feeling good about it. All right, let's run through quickly the rest of the games. The Indianapolis Colts taking some money, five-point dogs at the Patriots. It's surprising to me because we all know how Bill Belichick does against you know first and second-year quarterbacks, and with Sam Ellinger making his second career start, you got to imagine that Bill Belichick's going to take away from this team. Plus, Jonathan Taylor's not practicing, so I don't understand why money's coming in on the uh, on the the, the, the Colts. Colts when Jonathan Taylor did not practice yesterday. So. I guess we'll see what his status is later on today, but no practice yesterday. Once again, they they traded away Naeem Hines. Uh, what are the Colts going to do against the Patriots? Buffalo Bills, 11.5-point favorites at the Jets. Only way I would play this game is Buffalo. The Jets' offense just feels dead Can't rely without on Bryce tackles. Hall yeah. or without Brees Hall. And, and uh, this is it really boils down to – do do the Bills want to put these numbers up? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the biggest home underdog spot for the Jets since last year when <laughs> they were 13.5-point dogs at home to the Bills who beat them 45-17. to 17. A noticeable stat, Zach Wilson's the worst quarterback in the league under pressure. 
the Bills have created a ton and they don't have to blitz to yeah. do it. Uh, and both Jets tackles, PFF grades below 60, could be a long day for Zach Wilson. The Chicago Bears catching four and a half at home against the Miami Dolphins. I worry about the track here for Miami. Uh, this doesn't feel like the, Miami, I think, on a fast track, indoors specifically, Miami's offense is going to be hard to deal with. But the thing that keeps me from loving the Bears here is trading away defensive pieces. The Bears' offense has gotten much better over the last couple weeks. The Bears' defense, there's a lot of question marks. Traded away the two best tacklers. And and I, I wonder how the team responds, especially with a defensive-minded head coach. You know he's not happy about it. The Vikings are now three-point favorites on the road at the Commandos, as Fez likes to call them. I like Washington here because uh, Heineke has played well. He's 8-2 and two against the spread in his last 10 games as a quarterback. That's pretty strong, pretty strong. As the starting Washington, seventh in DVOA against the run. You know they're going to at least make Dalvin Cook put mm-hmm. up a fight. That means you're counting on Kirk Cousins. That's who, half That's half the battle. Who's playing in his first game in D.C. since becoming a member of the Vikings. 14 and 15 ATS at FedEx Field. So You like uh, that? <laughs> you like that? You like that? Uh, the Green Bay Packers, three-and-a-half-point favorites, at the Lions. And Boy, it seems like this is the get-right spot for the Packers. And I'm not saying they're going to get right. I just feel like the Lions are a dead team in the water, and the Packers look at this as the opportunity to pick themselves up off the floor. It feels like the trade of TJ Hawkinson makes it feel like the Packer or like the Lions are punting on this season. Yeah, DeAndre Swift held out of practice yesterday as well. Yeah, it, the, the Lions secondary has been bad. This feels like the game for Aaron Rodgers to say, okay, it, everything's going to be mm-hmm. all right. If it's not, if they lose to the Lions, it, it, all the panic is deserved and warranted. The Packers aren't making the playoffs. Yeah, But it, it, I think this is a game where he, he gets things going. Chargers, three-point road favorites at Atlanta. I gave out the play yesterday. I'm going to give it out again. DeAndre Carter over receiving yards. Whenever that prop gets put up, that's what I'm playing for the Chargers. I like that. It, listen, this is the Chargers off a of bye. Looks like no Keenan Allen. Also looks like oh, definitely not Mike Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be Josh Palmer and DeAndre Carter. Yep. Um, those are the two guys that you're going to look at. And the passing game, I don't care who's catching the ball. The passing game is going to have success. Atlanta's defense is in shambles in the secondary. It, it's about it. Like their two best corners are out. Thing they're replacing safeties. Things couldn't be going worse. And PJ Walker just shredded that secondary. <laughs> Justin Herbert should have a field day. I like your prop there. Let's talk about the Bengals coming off that ugly, ugly Monday night game. They're seven point favorites hosting the Panthers. Mm, I lean Bengals is the only possible way to play this. Now, full disclosure, I am in a uh, survivor pool where. The Bengals will be, and I'm not going to bore anybody with the rules, but just trust me, the Bengals will be the most selected team this week. They're seven-point favorites over the Panthers. I am not choosing the Bengals, and I will root for (laughs) P.J. Walker, Texas Ranger, and the Panthers to pull off an upset here. Joe Burrow, 12-4 ATS off a loss. Yeah. it's it's, 3-1 ATS on short rest. I made the Bengals one of my selections on the Dream Pod. I I, I just think that this is a great spot. Um, you mentioned the stuff uh, off off the loss. Well, this is just this is really interesting. Here we go. This is going to be the tenth time that Joe Burrow is going to play a game after scoring less than twenty points in the previous game. Okay. In those nine instances prior to this Sunday. Cincinnati's 8-1 ATS in those games. They have covered by 6.7 points per game. And in the last five of those games in that situation, they've averaged 31.4 points per game. All right. So yeah. we call him Bounce Back Burrow, and that's a, that's, that's what they're going to do. Speaking of the dream preview, there was some crossfire between you and RJ. Raiders minus one and a half at the Jags. Raiders! <laughs> Look, I don't get the Jaguars' love at all. I really don't. Um, I, I can't stand this team. And yet, people just bet on them every single week, and, and I don't get it. Raiders stayed in Florida 
after last week's game. They've been practicing at the IMG Academy in Bradenton. They used this week as like a training camp style week. Get away from the distractions, bond together as a team, and figure out how to salvage this season. I love that. Meanwhile, the Jaguars are returning home from London without a bye. And yes, I know that they've made the trip before, but it's not like these are the same players and it's certainly not the same coaching staff. And only nine times in NFL history, a team has come back from London without a bye week. Every single one of those teams was either tied or losing in the fourth quarter of their following game. And the opponent's team total, 7-2 and two to the over, in those games, which means there's been a lapse defensively, Raiders team total is the play. 23 and a half, the that, number coming off of a shutout. That is even play. more appealing to me. That's the play. My favorite NFL play this week was Seattle plus two, and that's the last game we're going to preview here. It's a rematch of a game a few weeks ago. The Seahawks won 19 to nine. Gino. Uh, In that game, we saw Seattle rack up six sacks. We saw Arizona not score a touchdown. And my handicap then is essentially the same as it is this week. The Seahawks are a better team than the Cardinals. They are better at running back, wide receiver. They're better on the line. They're better on defense. And they are better at quarterback. Mm. And they also have a coaching edge. uh, And these roles – it's particularly telling Kingsbury nine and fifteen ATS as a favorite. That's thirty eight percent. Pete Carroll's sixty two percent as a dog. Forty five and twenty eight. This was essentially the same number you could get in the Seattle home game. So you're thinking, oh, home field advantage flip. But here's the deal: Seattle has one of the best home field advantages in football. Arizona has one of the worst. Kingsbury eleven and seventeen ATS at home. Before the Saints game two weeks ago. You had to go back to week seven of 2021 for the last Cardinals home win, straight up win. That was against the Texans. Mm. I don't like the Cardinals. I don't like where they're going. We're reaching the second half of the season where we know we want to fade the Cardinals anyway. This number says that these teams are the same, and that's being generous with the home field. Or they're saying Seattle's worse, and I can't imagine that being true. I like the Seahawks plus two here. I'm not going to go against you on this one. All right, that's going to wrap up the conversation for Week 9 NFL. AJ, the people have spoken. I told you yesterday morning they wanted more hockey talk. I don't remember them saying that. And we gave them a little more hockey talk. We did. We talked about them. Talked about some of the games that I liked. Talked about some of the plays I was leaning towards. Gave out some plays on pregame.com last night. 2-0. There you go. Including a three-star underdog of the week. Devils plus 140 winning outright last night in Edmonton. Just two games on the schedule tonight. You got the Blue Jackets at the Avalanche, Colorado minus 260, total of six and a half. And the Sabres at the Hurricanes, Carolina minus 210, total of six and a half. Carolina is interesting to me. I really like this team a lot. I picked them yesterday was one of my picks on against the Tampa Bay Lightning. They win 4-3 in a shootout. They put 55 shots on goal last night in that game. 55 shots on goal. This is a team that generates a ton of offense. And for Buffalo, we just saw them on Wednesday night score six goals against the Penguins after trailing in that game by a 3-1 to score. They come back in the third period and score five goals in the third period. Honestly, I think we're in for some goals tonight. I got to look at this game and see what the goaltending matchup is going to look like. Because, again, with the uh, Hurricanes playing last night, I don't think it's going to be Frederick Anderson in net tonight. So once we get goaltending confirmation, I can take a look at both of these teams and see what we're looking at. But... I might have a play here on the over six and a half for this game, AJ. If you want to go to pregame.com and jump on board with any season-long package, you got to take advantage now because we're giving you 20% off. You can get McKenzie Rivers' NBA package. You can jump on board with my NHL package. And college basketball starts when, AJ? 
Monday. AJ's going to have a college basketball season-long package. If you go to pregame.com, any of those packages or really anything that you want to purchase, 20% off for listeners of this podcast with the promo code WIN20. W-I-N-20. Why? Because all I do is win, 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 no matter what, what, money on my mind. Right? That, that's how it goes. Yeah, can never get enough. Yeah, that, that's, that's the song, right? Yeah, okay. Win20 is the promo code. Uh, we got tons of season-long packages available. And that's really how you get the bang for your buck, right? Because you can buy a daily package, but 20% off a daily versus 20% off a season-long. Season-long is really get is really where you get the bang for your buck. Uh, NHL this season. 28 and 10 plus 22.29 units already. Let's go. My last 13 overall plays given out on pregame.com. If you got my all access package or my weekender package, 12 and 1 plus 19.25 units. You're on fire. That's across NHL, Major League Baseball, college football, and the NFL. Uh, had another Major League Baseball winner last night with the Astros in the first five innings. And Mackenzie Rivers, when it comes to NBA, no one does it better. And if you think you can do better than McKenzie, here's what we're going to do at pregame.com. We're going to give you a chance to win $1,000 for free. How? I'll tell you how. Click on contests and find the McKenzie Rivers NBA contest. The contestant that earns the most NBA units wins $500. Did I mention it's free to enter? That's $500 for the contestant who earns the most NBA units. But that's not all. Really? What else? Well, if you <laughs> get more units than what McKenzie earned last year. Mac, how many units last year? Plus 64.03 units. If you beat McKenzie, you get an extra $500. Now, I didn't study math that much in college. But 500 plus 500, that's 1,000. But what are you risking? I mean, that sounds like I don't want to risk a lot for a thousand. Zero. It's free. It's go a to free roll. Go to pregame.com, click on contests, find the McKenzie Rivers NBA contest. Join today for your free chance to win a thousand dollars cash. Hit us all up on Twitter. Bother us if you will. At Mac and Rivers, at AJ is the real, at Scott's on air for McKenzie Rivers and AJ Hoffman. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Have a great, profitable weekend here straight out of Vegas. AM.